Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Bridgeway Podcast. We're really ba- glad to be back after a long break over the holidays, and we are back uh, with Sam Storms here to talk uh, today, kicking off our series on um, how the gospel shapes um, our core values here at Bridgeway, and we're going to start off by talking about gospel love. So uh, welcome, Sam. Hey, it's good to be here. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the world loves the word love loves it. They, they use it all the time. Um, it, it informs a lot of different uh, hot hotbed cultural issues. Um, we tend to throw it around. Uh, lo- love can be thrown down like a trump card a lot of times, it feels like. Um, well, he did it for love. Uh, so I, I'd be curious to ask, like, how do you think the world defines love, and then how is that different from how um, the gospel shows us what love is? Yeah. Tell you what, let's do. Okay. Let, let's back up just one step and make sure we know what we mean by gospel. Okay, yes. Yeah, because I wonder if some people out there are saying, well, I need to know what this, what kind of love you're talking about. Right. So let's make clear the gospel is not something we do for God. Mm-hmm. The gospel is not a do, it's a done. Yes. The gospel is the glorious good news of all that God has done for us in Christ through his life, death, and resurrection to reconcile us to himself forever. So that's the. That's the foundation. That's the core of what we mean by gospel, and um, it does. It shapes everything we do. It shapes all our values. It shapes our interpersonal relationships, um, and it certainly shapes uh, and gives definition and content to the word love. Um, I was thinking. You know, now we've got that out. We got that as understanding, kind of foundational. Let's we can move on to your questions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting that tragically, as you've just kind of hinted at, uh, the word love can be used today um, to, to in essence, um, declare that what you believe and how you behave is invalid. Mm -hmm. In other words, um, for the world out in the secular community, in order to love someone, you can't disagree with them. Right. So if, uh, if you and I have conflicting ideas on the nature of reality or the existence of God or um, what particular um, uh, doctrines are true or false. If I say to you, David, uh, well, you know, honestly, I love you, but I think you're wrong. Well, that's a contradiction in terms to people. I can't love you if I dare suggest that you might be misguided in your beliefs. Mm. So, so basically what the world says is to love is not merely to tolerate in the sense that um, I'm willing to allow you to continue to believe what you want, even if I think you're wrong. To love is I have to affirm the legitimacy of your belief, even if I believe it's wrong. Oh, okay. In other words, I I have to go a step farther than simply saying you have the right to believe what you want and the right to behave how you want. Obviously, all of us believe that. I mean, we live in a country where that kind of freedom exists. 
but if I really love you, um, I don't. I will not do or say anything that might create any emotional discomfort in your heart. Yeah. So for you, for me to say, David, you're wrong. That's just not right. That's just misguided. And let me try to give you reasons, and that hurts your feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, that offends you. That um, you, you somehow think I'm rejecting you personally because I think that you're holding to a, a misguided understanding of reality. Um, and so if I'm going to love you, I can't do any of that. And mm-hmm. so um, we have it in our society now where love means um, never disagreeing, always affirming the legitimacy. Even if you have two beliefs, like let's take this most fundamental basic. Uh, let's say you're an atheist and I'm a theist. And I say, David, um, I think you're wrong. And you say, oh, that's not loving. So in order to love you, I have to say, okay, your belief that there is no God is, is legitimate. Uh, my belief that there is a God is legitimate. Well, one of them's illegitimate, and it's just right. it, it's just not possible to function in the world in that kind of all inclusive understanding of what tolerance is. So, uh, and and the same thing goes for even more so for behavior. Mm-hmm. So, for me to suggest to somebody or for them to say to me, I think what you're doing is immoral. I think it's ethically wrong. Right. In our world today is uh, the absence of love. You haven't loved that person well. To love them well, you have to uh, endorse, not just simply allow their behavior. You have to endorse it as being legitimate and a, and a, and a reasonable alternative to what somebody else might do. Well, that, that empties love of any significant meaning, uh, so maybe having set this, having kind of defined how our culture thinks of love, and again, I, I'm sure our listeners are aware of the fact. All you have to do is turn on the TV or turn on the internet or or, or, or read somewhere where an individual um, has embraced a particular lifestyle, is choosing to um, uh, to live and make choices in a particular way, and somebody says to them. Um, I think you're wrong and you shouldn't do that. That's equivalent to hate. Right. In fact, it's almost become hate speech. Yes. Uh, And and there are actually countries that are legislating in in that regard Mm -hmm. where you can't make moral statements. You can't take moral positions because it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. It's going to, um, you know, somehow delegitimize their own uh, impulses and their own beliefs. So that being said, Maybe we ought to define what we mean by Christian love. Okay. Um, I would define love as doing for or on behalf of another individual what is most conducive both to their present temporal welfare and their eternal destiny. Mm. So if, I, if there's something that, um, that you are doing or believing that is uh, damaging to your capacity to flourish now right or your or the hope of your flourishing in the next age mm-hmm. in the life to come then it is loving of me to point that out to you to to in, to press upon you hey you need to really rethink what you're doing because here's the problem the person and I'll just pick I'm just picking on you cuz you're yeah. the only one I'm looking at <laughs> if david is doing something that he is convinced will contribute to his happiness and his flourishing in the present day, maybe oblivious to what might happen after you pass from the scene. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I am convinced on the basis of God's word that, in fact, it's damaging to your soul and you are deluded and misguided in thinking that somehow that's going to contribute to your welfare. Uh, the loving thing for me to do is to, in a very gentle but firm way to point that out to you. Mm-hmm. Now, the only way we can do that is if we have an ultimate standard by which behavior and beliefs can be judged. Mm. And, of course, as Christians, we do. We believe it's God's Word. So in a world in which God's Word plays no uh, functional role, it has no power uh, in the minds of people, then obviously this uh, our definition of love doesn't work. Right. Because, you know, if, if I say to you, hey— you know, doing that is immoral. Believing that is misguided. And the person pushes back and says, well, who says? Mm-hmm. I mean, who are you to say? And my response to that is I, I am simply representing what God has said, and mm-hmm. his word is the ultimate standard. So our love, how we define it, how, we re- how it governs our relationship with others, is obviously under the functional authority of Scripture. We believe that the eternal God who's created us all knows what is best for us and how we can flourish now and forever. And he has revealed that in Scripture. So love then, I would say, is, let's just start with God. Love is the benevolent disposition in God's heart that leads him to to bestow benefits on his creation, whether those are physical Mm. or spiritual, whether it's for now or in eternity future. So if I'm going to love somebody, I have to be willing at great cost and sacrifice to myself to do whatever is most beneficial to their flourishing now and in eternity future. Mm-hmm. That is how I would define love. Right. So that's the measure that I'm going to—I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, David's kind of a tender heart, and he's a little insecure. <laughs> and so to really love him, I've got to really watch out what I say, because if I, if I take a position different from his, he's going to feel wounded. He's mm-hmm. going to feel offended, and he won't feel loved. And uh, I think that is an absolute disastrous approach. I mean, that's what's ruining our society across the board is this failure to believe that there are actually absolute moral standards and uh, criteria for determining what is true and what is false. So love, we've come full circle. (laughs) Love is the disposition, the inclination, and the determination in my heart to do for another person oftentimes at great sacrifice and cost to myself, what will contribute most to their flourishing in the present life and the welfare of their eternal destiny. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I think we, we've, we've built a really good bridge and, and, um, and made this circle that I think we're going to clearly be able to understand the gospel and how it 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 follows that rule and that definition mm-hmm. of what love is, and and, it, and we'll get there really shortly. Um, but I want to circle back on a few things um, in this talk, um, of like cultural love and how they view it and everything. One is there seems to be that you're making a strong tie between love and truth. That um, I can only love someone if I affirm their truth and what they think is right or wrong. Um, you know, morality or not. And you're saying that the antidote to that is to have a grounding for truth. Exactly. Right. So it's kind of uh, a postmodern versus evangelical, if you will. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like um, all truth is truth if it's true to you on one side. Yeah. And then there's one authoritative truth. And so why, 
uh, why are we why are we blending truth and love? Why are those things so linked together um, that we've had? Because uh, I don't know. I feel like if I might have asked anybody else uh, on the street and like, hey, what does it mean to love someone? It's like, oh, just you like care for them, or you have an emotion toward. We haven't used a lot of make flowery them, Valentine or, or language. Make them feel good about themselves. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, is, yeah. That is probably the predominant view. You've got to you've got to do whatever and say whatever it takes so that other people will feel good about themselves mm. and won't feel as Did if, you feel loved? Yeah. Is a is a is a common term. Exactly. Okay. So then so then why this link then between love and truth? We seem to be like pairing those things off that if you, what you believe about truth is going to change the way you love people. Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, I think the most basic response to that would be that falsehood hurts people. Mm. Um, if you're living your life uh, in a way that is contrary to um, the way reality operates and the way God has revealed himself, then ultimate, you know, you, you might have immediate gratification mm-hmm. in the present moment, but your long-term welfare will suffer from it. Right. Um, okay, so I was thinking about like alcoholism. Yeah. Like I, I was trying to think of things that people do still intervene into people's lives and say, hey, you're hurting yourself. This isn't good for you. You should stop being an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I think I would I would not be surprised to see a very postmodern person do that for someone they care about. To be like, you you're destroying your life, you're drinking away your your savings, your kidneys, your liver's failing, all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. You're hurting yourself because your body was not made to operate that way, to just consume alcohol all day, every day, for years upon end. You'll destroy yourself and those around you. Right. And so I think even a postmodern person would intervene and say hey, you have to stop this, right? And so you're saying, okay, we can find some middle ground there that we can agree on that loving someone is is keeping them away from hurting themselves in a way. Right, and and so let's move it beyond the mere physiological. Um, If, and again, I keep coming back... um, I can't avoid it because I'm a a Christian who I hope is grounded in God's Word, and and I have to come back to the reality I was made by God in His image for God. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to look at every individual as somebody who has been actually shaped and created by a transcendent being, and that we actually Im- we bear His image. We are like Him in in the way that we ha- have the capacity to think and to feel and to make choices and to be self conscious and so on. But not only that, we were made for God, mm-hmm. and God has said. I have created you in such a way that the only way you can really uh, have the good feelings that you say you desire to have is in proper relationship to me, to be aligned with my understanding of what I've created, Mm -hmm. to be aligned in your thinking with what I say is true, to be averse to what I say is false. God has said to us, I believe, that the only way that you can be happy and the only way that you can flourish now and for eternity is to be properly aligned with the reason for which you were made. Mm. And so that's why I'm always going to come back to that. And I'm, I'm, I, that's the plumb line. Um, that's how love is defined. So if I do or say anything that contributes to you being misaligned mm. with the, your creator or out of sync with his purpose for having made you, I'm not loving you. Mm-hmm. So that's how, you know, why God gives us ethical standards in his word. Right. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I think we could actually find some common ground with 
um, that inclination with the world at large that, uh, but it's just a different undergirding presupposition that guides it. So in the, in the world, people would say, um, you know, you're the best truth, the best way for you to flourish is for you to be the best version of you. Right. And, and so if that's the bottom line truth and that is the end to which you were made, uh, or came to being Mm -hmm. (laughs) is to be yourself, then I can love you the best by loving you for what you believe, how you act, and what you think is true. If we're saying no, there's a different theological bent for every human being, and it's towards God, that everyone was made for him, that I'm only loving you if I am guiding you on that path and saying you are living antithetical to the the reasons God has made you, Mm -hmm. and I, I can't love you well if I let you languish in anything that is less than that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, probably our listeners, some of whom will remember this. I think you may remember it. There was an interview done with a female student at a, uh, at a university somewhere up in the northwest uh, part of the country. The, and this interviewer was said to this person, said, well, but what if I said to you that I personally identify, and this was a man who's about six feet tall, mm-hmm. Caucasian. He said, I, I personally identify as a five foot, uh, five inch Chinese woman. Right. And the, and the girl said, well, good for you. <laughs> and he went on and he gave a list of options. He said, I, and I, I, I personally identify as someone who wants to uh, have sexual relations with a person of my own gender. Well, good for you. And to every assertion of what I want, mm-hmm. which this guy was making up, this girl just nodded her head. Good for you. And the idea of the world is she was loving him because right. she was affirming his his desires. That's that's unconditional love, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely, it's no, not conditioned no, by anything. No qualifications. Right. The only relevant factor is what do you believe is good for you? And in order to love you, I have to say good for you, mm. and to say bad for you, bad for you. <laughs> that's not consistent with the way God made you and what He made you for, mm-hmm. and you are not. And again, we're getting here even deeper. Most people basically say, I am ultimately the only one who can determine what is good or bad for my own soul. Mm -hmm. And I just simply think, oh, absolutely not. Right. Um, That is the only one who can determine that is the one who created your soul and Mm -hmm. upholds you and has ordained you to walk in a particular manner. And people say, well, that feels constrictive. That feels... Uh, very uh, inhibiting and legalistic. No, it's the most liberating reality there is, is to live in alignment with the purpose for which you were made. And I, we cannot love people if we hesitate or decline to speak the truth about belief and behavior and what will most contribute, according to God, to their flourishing now mm-hmm. and forever. To fail to do that is actually to hate somebody. Yeah. And so we've talked a lot about correcting people when it comes to love, um, that we might point out things that are prohibiting their flourishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, like, there's another side of that coin, surely, that love isn't just correction, right? It's oh, sure. also, yeah. So like, what does, what does Christian love then look like in an affirming way? Where, where, like, what does it look like in an active way where it's not correcting and guiding and trying to help see how you're not flourishing and you could be flourishing? What does Christian love look like in, in a way that's, um, that's different than that, maybe? Well, it's saying or doing whatever is most going to move that individual toward understanding who God is and experiencing the joy of being enjoyed by God. Right. Um, so I think, for example, of, uh, 
you know, again, appealing to God's love is kind of our paradigm. Uh, I think of what Paul said in Romans chapter 8 when he said, um, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's Romans 8.32. So here we see God who did not spare his own son. So he made the single greatest sacrifice that God could possibly make. Right. His own son delivered him up for us all. How will he not then together with him freely or graciously give us all things? Mm. So the way I'm going to love another person in that way is I am going to relate to them the way God has related to me in Christ. So I'm going to be willing to make whatever sacrifice I need to make I am going to be willing to lay down my own agenda. I am going to be willing to uh, suffer loss, whether physical or financial or circumstantial or whatever it is, in order to help that person come into an understanding of who God is for them in Christ. That's the way I'm going to love them primarily. Right. Well, that makes perfect sense then, um, because we're we're talking about gospel grounding for love. And um, so what we're saying is that at great personal expense to himself— Jesus came and made a way for us to flourish now and forever um, by showing us that we were made for God, by delivering a law to us that will show us how to live um, in harmony with the way that God engineered the world and our souls. And um, and he, he did that um, so much like to such a degree that it costs his very life. And so we're saying that 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 is how we will love another person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, the ultimate aim is this. And again, I'm speaking, and people think this is rather grandiose terms, and I'm not being, you know, concrete or down to earth enough, but I will get there. Um, the, the way I love somebody else is by doing everything possible, even at great sacrifice to myself, to ensure that they get to experience the most glorious, beautiful, soul satisfying thing in the world. Mm. And what is that? The knowledge of God. Seeing and beholding the beauty of Christ, um, being captivated by the by the greatness of who God is, so um, I can do lesser things that they might enjoy, and and that we could call that love as long as it doesn't detract from the primary thing for which they were made. But the way I really love somebody is by pointing them to that one reality infinitely above all others that will bring them the greatest delight and joy and that is knowing God yeah and then and then of course okay let's 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 come down to the let's come down to the nitty-gritty of life mm. when, when and I'm just going to take Colossians chapter 3 because here Paul is is telling Christians how to love one another in light of the gospel and he says beginning in verse 12, Uh, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So based on the fact that God has loved you Mm. in Christ, you are the beloved of God, here's what you need to do. Be compassionate toward one another. Be kind, humble, meek, patient, bearing with one another. Why? Because God was compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient with us, and he bears with us. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So here it is, God's love for us and forgiving us in Christ and all that he went through to make that happen mm. is to govern and to shape how we are to relate one to another. 
And then he says, and above all these, that is preeminent, more important than all, put on love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. So that's how I love another individual is I want to communicate by my compassionate, humble, meek, and kind heart toward them um, by, by doing that to, to help them to see the reality of what it means to be forgiven um, by God through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That is ultimately the way I'm going to love them. It's not, gonna, it's not by uh, kind of mindlessly and in a, in a quote-unquote unconditional way affirming the legitimacy of whatever they believe and whatever they do because that's what makes them feel good about themselves. You know, the, the feeling good about myself can can set a path into eternal destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that 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 is just to me so disastrous. And Christians have to understand that they are not being hateful when they speak truth. Right. Now, unfortunately, let's be honest. <laughs> yes, let's be honest. People can speak truth in a hateful way. Yes. Yep. Like. I'm better than you because I know it and you don't, mm-hmm. you ignoramus, you know, you're, right. or in a condemning, snide, self-righteous manner. That's why so many have turned against the church is because mm-hmm. we haven't spoken the truth in love. Um, and so th- those principles of how God is related to us must govern how we relate to others right. um, to bring them into the experience of the most glorious, soul-satisfying reality in the universe, which is God himself. Yeah, um, and so I can't help but looking at this verse in Colossians, thinking forgiving others and bearing with one another's as Christ forgave and bore with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really helpful thing because, and I think people would immediately hear that, um, and and from like a top level, go, yeah, love is God love. God just God came and He died for you, and no conditions, just gave you His grace, right? <laughs> and um but we forget there's there's repentance and forgiveness and yep. right and there's there's a call to a new life and it's a go, it's a it's like the woman caught in adultery it's a go and sin no more right it, there's a there's that it's it is an unconditional forgiveness in that it had no merit in what we've done to earn it uh but it calls us to something new and better and that increases our flourishing so i don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that how um, a lot of people, when they think about Jesus's love, like love like Jesus, they see someone who would never um, do a lot of the things that Jesus did in, in a sense, like judging and condemning and pointing out wrongs and pronouncing woes and calling people to radical repentance and say, saying, leave that life behind. And like, I think that view of Jesus's love gets yep. underlooked and underserviced in our culture, if you want to speak to that. Well, you said it well. well. <laughs> yes, yes, that's so true. And we have to understand what it means for God to love us first, and that is he came and at great sacrifice to himself gave us himself. Mm-hmm. That is love. It isn't love for him to come and say, hey, I sent my son into this world um, to to make sure that you don't feel offended or hurt or, or um you know, somehow uh, disavowed. Um, no, I came you came to this world to give you me. Mm-hmm. I am the greatest gift. That is the greatest expression of love. Now, if that is what God's intention is, it must be ours as well. Right. So I'm going to do and say everything I possibly can in the most gentle but clear manner that is going to enable you to get God. 
Right. Not yourself, right. which is what everybody else is trying to exactly. love people into, is to get yourself. Right. We're trying to love people into getting God. That's exactly right. Yep. I want you to get God. I want you to see him, know him, enjoy him, be fascinated, enthralled, and satisfied with him. That is the single most loving thing that I can do or that you can do for any human being. Mm-hmm. And as we know in this world, that is basically interpreted as hate. It's a, the world views it as the very opposite of what right. our intention is. Yeah. So what does this look like um, in community, like here at Bridgeway in the local church? What does this kind of love look like interpersonally one to another on a daily, weekly basis? Um, do I just go around correcting everyone and <laughs> yeah. of their wrongs? And like, uh, I think someone could maybe take that away if we just stopped the show here. Um, we just, the, 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 you're not getting enough of God police or something. Yeah. Well, obviously we would, we could unpack all those exhortations that Paul gave us bearing with right. one another, being kind and compassionate, uh, toward one another. Um, yeah, it, I think the, 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 the way in which I am going to relate to others in light of how God has related to me is I'm going to ask at every turn, how can I uh, serve you? How can I be present in your life? How can I uh, overcome my own selfish desires and give uh, um, financially and physically and emotionally and verbally to you in such a way that I point you to the one thing that's going to satisfy your soul above all else? Because the reason why we need one another is because I'm making choices. You're making choices. We all make choices that we are deluded into thinking are going to contribute to our flourishing. Mm-hmm. That's ultimately why, that's that's behind every decision. And you and I know this. We, You've even written about it in, in your most recent book, is that I'm the choice I'm making in the present moment is based on my assumption that it's going to be, bring me greatest joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this sounds weird to people. Even those who commit suicide do it out of a pursuit of joy right? because they're seeking either to escape the misery of this life or they think that there's going to be somehow greater joy on the other side. Um, but they're driven by a desire for happiness. And so if, I'm, if we're going to love one another in the body of Christ, we have to help that individual in a very kind and patient way see that the choices that they need to make uh, are the ones that are going to most facilitate and move them in the direction of beholding the beauty of Jesus Christ and and receiving the love that he has for us. Mm-hmm. That's how we love one another. One other verse, I just have to throw this in. I've always been intrigued by this. It's 1 John 4, 12, where um, John says, No one has ever seen God. Mm. If we love one another, God abides in us. And in this amazing statement, and his love is perfected in us. Mm. So John is saying, we can't see God. He's spirit. But God's love for us is made visible and vocal and tangible and concrete in our love for one another. So his, his love for us doesn't just terminate on us. It is perfected. It's brought to its consummate goal and purpose when I, in turn, relate to somebody else on the same terms and on the same basis that God has related to me. Mm. 
That's how we love one another. Yeah, which is really, it go, It does go back to that Colossians verse that we looked at. It's like, as I am humble towards someone and kind towards someone and meek towards someone, uh, I am loving them the way Christ has loved me. Um, we, we, that, yeah, we get to make that invisible God visible and make his love of us perfected. And that is, his love is perfected in us. That is a quandary of a verse. Oh, it is, it is. That and messes again, with me. Yeah, and, and again, people say, you mean God's love is, is it Im- imperfect? imperfect? Right. It, yeah. it needs a little help, a little boost. No, the, he's saying that God's love has an ultimate purpose that is only achieved when our perception of his love for us translates oh, wow. into serving and giving to others. So there's a trajectory that God's love is on that is consummated, brought to fruition. Right. I, I'm just looking at the Greek word for it, and it, it's that te- it's a telos root, which yep. is an end, which yep. is ab- absolutely right, which is what we talked about was the basis of how, we, like, why are we loving people? We have different ends. The right. world has a different end than we do. The exactly. world is saying, I'm going to help you be your best self, and we're saying, no, I'm going to give you more of God. Like, I want you to know that you are for him. And so we're saying that how do we make God's love perfect among us is that we point it towards its right goal, its right telos, its correct right. end. And that the, is beautiful. And the reason why we have different telosses, yeah. <laughs> tell I, no, yeah, tell I, whatever, <laughs> is because we have different authorities. Mm. Yeah, we, right. We have back, the authority yeah, of the, the revealed word of God. Right. The world has the authority of self. What, what, whatever I like, whatever I prefer, whatever makes me feel good, that's my ultimate moral authority. Ours is the written word of God, and and ultimately, um, I guess we're coming full circle here. We're never going to be able to communicate in a meaningful way uh, with another person until we resolve the issue of, well, on what basis do you say that? On Mm -hmm. what basis do you believe that? On what basis do you define love in the way that you have? And as long as we are operating on different authorities, Mm -hmm. we're going to have contrarian and mutually exclusive views of what it is to love another human being. Yes. Um, I want want to talk briefly about... um, why and how we're moved to love another person. Um, what's the engine? Uh, if we're talking about gospel love, how does the gospel not only shape what our love looks like, but why our love is carried out at all? Like what's behind it? How does the gospel drive us to love one another? I might, I mean, so there might be people listening and be like, this all sounds great. Um, I really would like to make the love of God perfect in my church or in my interpersonal relationships or in myself. But um, I don't really feel motivated to do that. How does the gospel come in and provide that engine, that impetus? It's through the Holy Spirit. Okay. It's through the Spirit of God um, constantly awakening us to the reality that the only thing that we ultimately deserve is hell. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I ultimately deserve, I'll never get. The one thing that God owes me, if we speak strictly in terms of justice, I'll never experience. Mm-hmm. And the Spirit of God is within us to open our eyes to that truth, to alert us to it, to constantly remind us of it. That's why it's, you know, forgive one another. Gosh, I don't want to do that. Why should I do that? <laughs> how, how can I find the strength to do that? Um, I don't like that person. Right. I don't want them to feel good. I don't, you know, and we, and we have all those protests why we uh-huh. should not be loving toward them. And then Paul says, because this is how God loved you in Christ. He forgave you um, words and uh, 
decisions and choices and actions in your soul that are infinitely worse than the worst thing that any human being can do to you. Mm -hmm. Because God is infinitely deserving of absolute obedience and glory and honor right. and, and gratitude. So again, it is the Spirit of God. We have to cry out to Him. We have to pray to Him. We have to, to walk daily in dependence upon Him, saying, Holy Spirit, throughout the course of this day, I know I'm going to interact with people at the office or at school or at the mall or wherever um, that really irritate me. Yeah. And they rub me the wrong way and they've done me dirty. Help me to respond to them, Lord, the way you responded to me. Mm -hmm. And you forgave me by laying the punishment I deserved on your son. And how then could I possibly, even to the worst betrayal and the worst damage anybody's done to me, how could I decline to forgive them the way you've forgiven me? That I think that's the only way it can happen. Yeah, the gospel, when, we, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see truly the depths of what Jesus has done for us, it creates this backstop where I can't help but yep. love someone like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as we close here, let's close with this. Uh, you already opened 1 John. Um, 1 John talks a lot about love. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's the famous passage, God is love, right? Which is, is thrown around a ton these days. Right. Um, it, it almost becomes the character of God. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a cultural version of love. And so since God is love, he can't do X. And since God is love, he's prohibited from Y. Like, you know, a lot of people throw that around. Um, but first John is a, a John has a very distinct view of love and he especially as it works um, from the horizontal relationship relating to the vertical relationship how I relate to you I if I don't love you first John says I don't love God right how do those go together um, because I think a lot of people have struggled to not see some kind of works-based righteousness in that where it's God only loves me insofar as I love another or if I don't love people enough or do enough for others God's not going to do something for me how do the how do those two love relationships work I don't know a better answer to that than the one that John gives and I'm just going to read him mm. first John 4 7 beloved let us love one another why because love is from God Whoever loves has been born of God. So in other words, the, the only way that we can really love is if the, the life of God is now in us through the new birth, mm -hmm. the indwelling Holy Spirit. So whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Well, that's a, that's a, somebody would say, that's an unloving thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're telling me because I, uh, because I, despise and mistreat and discriminate against this person. That means I don't know God. That doesn't sound loving. Well, it's, <clears throat> it doesn't sound loving because you don't understand how God has treated you. God should have mistreated mm -hmm. you. He should have judged you, and he didn't. And he goes on, in this the love of God was made manifest, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So obviously, once again, John comes, runs to the cross. He runs to the mm -hmm. gospel and um, makes it very clear that the, that the motivating drive, the, the, the capacity um, to, to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of another coming into the experience of the most glorifying thing in the universe is the fact that God has already done that for us in Jesus. Yeah. What would you say to the person as we close that might might look at these verses and hear this and say, um, 
man, I just don't, I, I, I don't feel this love towards other people like I want to. And like, I feel like I should, um, does that mean I'm not born of God? Like, no, well, it might be. <laughs> okay. Let's take the extreme case. There's that possibility. But the fact of the matter is, uh, even though I, I have been born of God and I think I know God, um, I have not been completely delivered from my own selfish, self-willed mm-hmm. impulses uh, that lie to me and tell me that the most effective way to experience um, uh, deepest joy and satisfaction is by running in the opposite direction from God and just doing whatever it is that gives me a buzz in the present moment, Right. whatever high I can attain, uh, whatever uh, praise and affirmation I can get from others. And so there is that lingering power of indwelling sin. Yeah. And of course, Satan, who's constantly reaffirming those lies to us. So no, we do not love perfectly. We do not love the way God loved us, but that's the standard towards which we strive by the power of the indwelling spirit. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot um, to cover. We might have to loop back around to this topic of love at some point and look at it from another point of view because I just feel like there's still so much we haven't gotten to unpack. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to put no, a button I, on I before just, we close? I just say, you know, that uh, this is one of the five core values of our church. Right. Bridgeway is love. In fact, it's the first one we list. And, we, and it's very clear. We say because God first loved us, we are committed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love one another as Christ has loved us, and to give, to give generously of our money, time, and lives. So uh, it's rooted and grounded in God's love for us. It's expressed and overflows in our love for others uh, so that they can come into the experience of knowing and enjoying him who is life eternal. Well, thank you, Sam. Um, We're going to continue to um, unpack these other uh, five core values here at Bridgeway. Um, We started with love. We're going to talk about courage and joy and honor and worship um, as the, the rest of this series unfolds. So thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at bridgewayokc or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchokc. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.